Welcome to The City Podcast, a ministry of Ambassadors Church in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website at wearethecity.org. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you are blessed by today's word. Ready for the word this morning? Come on, let's get our Bibles open uh, to the book of John, to the book of John chapter 20, John chapter 20. And, um, and this is a continuation of the series we're on called Resurrection Stories. Resurrection Stories. What we're doing is we're basically uh, looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the perspective of the people that were there. Uh, and so last week we, we spent some time talking about Mary Magdalene and how she was a woman who was the, the women were the first preachers. Come on, women of God, rise up. Uh, the women were the first evangelists. And uh, in all four gospel accounts, uh, the, the, the gospels confirm that women were the first ones to see the risen Jesus. And, and last week, we kind of, I'm recapping for those that weren't here, or maybe you heard but forgot. Uh, Mary was sitting outside the tomb weeping about the fact that Jesus' Jesus's body had been stolen. Uh, but there were two angels in front of her and one Jesus behind her. And, uh, and we talked about how so many times we are so focused on the pain of loss that we are neglectful of the signs of God's faithfulness all around us. I, I believe that God is a faithful God and that for every one lie or for every one loss, God reminds us that his promises for us are certain. Amen? Amen. So John chapter 20, verse number 24. John 20, 24. If you're there, say, I'm there. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning for how good you are. Uh, we thank you for this word that's about to come to us as, as uh, a seed in fresh soil. And uh, I thank you for the warm weather this past weekend, Lord, and we're praying for more of it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Come on, how many of y'all enjoy, enjoyed that sunlight on Friday, and a little bit yesterday? That was, that was nice. I heard it's supposed to snow today. Winter weather advisory for Rhode Island is in effect. What is going on? Um, anybody grow up with siblings? Siblings? All right, God bless you. Um, any only children, only child? All right, two, three. Um, I grew up with a sister. Y'all know my sister, Shayla. Yesterday was her birthday, by the way. She turned 33, the age of Jesus. Um, it's a blessed year. And... Uh, me and my sister, we, we, had a, we had a loving relationship early on, 
contentious later on and loving now in adulthood. But me and my sister would, would fight in petty ways. So I, me and my dad and my mom had a minivan uh, with the wood paneling on the side. If anybody remembers those minivans, the Dodge Caravans with the wood paneling. And me and my sister both had our own seats. And I think I've told you this story, but I was so um, just silly and childish that I didn't want my sister to look out my window of, of, of my side of the van. And so whenever she would look out my window, I would get upset that she was looking out my window. I was very, just a selfish little child. And I, me and my sister would fight periodically, um, mostly verbal. Uh, but, but, but one day, one day we, I decided I was going to go and grab her head. Shayla was much taller than I, me. And, uh, and, and, and I, was, I was a midget till I was like 15. And so, no lie. And so uh, I ran and, and just grabbed Shayla by the head. Jumped up and grabbed her. And I started slipping down Shayla's full length. But as I slipped down, my arm got, right here next to my elbow, got a, like, got cut by her hair clip right here. So as I slid down Shayla, the hair clip cut my arm from my elbow to the palm of my hand. I kid you not, I have a scar to prove it. Do you remember this? Blood everywhere. I mean, it was bad. I just had a massive gash in my arm from my elbow to my to my hand. I'm like, Shayla, what have you done? What do you have in your hair? Knives? Like, what is going on? I think it was one of those butterflies. Remember those butterflies? Remember those? I think it was one of those. Or those ones that like snap and like, it's like kind of like that. You, got, you girls have weird stuff in your heads. But, um, so I, I cut myself, and, and man, it was, it was a traumatizing event. And, uh, and we, like, Brazilian families, you don't go to the hospital. Cape Verdean families, Latino families, you don't, you, don't go, you don't go to the doctor. You just get, like, paper towels and saran wrap it. Like, you just figure something, saran wrap. I think we used saran wrap that night. Um, and, like, every family, every Cape Verdean family has that little bottle of medicine in the medicine cabinet that's at the top, that burns like heaven. And, um, and, it's, and it's just, <laughs> you put it on and you put the saran wrap. To make a long story short, what was traumatizing then, what was bleeding then, what created tears then, healed and made a scar. Now there's a, there's a scar on my arm from that, from that experience. Now I want to transition real sharp, no, 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 I want to talk about Thomas. I'm going to come back to, to this. I have no segue. I just want to talk to you about Thomas because the story in John 20 of Thomas is interesting because it, it begins by saying that Thomas was not with the other disciples when Jesus appeared to the 12, to, to the 11, to the 10 actually, because Judas had killed himself. Thomas wasn't there. So there was 10, 10 in the room. Thomas is not there when Jesus showed up. And that's, that's like the first line in the passage. And the question that I would ask is, where was Thomas? 
Like, what place would be a more important place to be than in unity with his other fellow disciples waiting on Jesus to show up? I want to talk to you a little bit this morning, just kind of touch on it. It's not the theme of this message. It's just kind of an idea. I want to talk to you about distractions. Because some of us are paying more attention to things that don't deserve our attention. And in the process, we're missing out on what God is doing in the midst of his people. Because we're over here doing our own program and we're focused on these things that really don't matter. We have our back turned to the main thing, the main event, the big show that God is doing. And we're missing out on on what the Lord is up to because we're distracted. We're distracted. And, And sometimes we're not even distracted by sin or bad stuff. You can be distracted by good things, but it's not the best thing for you. Good isn't best. And, and, and maybe, you know, sometimes we feel like distraction. Oh, I'm living in sin or I'm, I'm rebelling. No, it's not about rebellion. It's not about living in sin. Sometimes it's just a matter of your priorities aren't straight. The, the things that are important in your life don't deserve the, 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 the importance that you place on them. And, and, and so for me, it's like, Thomas, what are you doing? Like the rest of everybody else is in the same place and they're waiting on Jesus. They're kind of kind of just sort of, they've heard word that Jesus is alive. And meanwhile, Thomas is at the mall. Thomas is out fishing when everybody else is waiting on Jesus to show up. And it kind of reminds me a little bit about church, right? Like, what's important? What's important? It reminds me of your call. Like, what's important? It it reminds me of kind of, you know, our lives where, why are we placing emphasis on things that, why are you fishing when God is showing up? Why are you shopping when God is showing up? Why are you sleeping when God is showing up? There, there's something, it speaks to Thomas's priorities. I, I think we live in a distracted generation. We live in a distracted generation. Thanks for well. That actually proved my point. Because um, as I'm saying this, we hear the, we hear the cry. Um, th- I think we live in a distracted generation where there's a lot of things competing for our attention. And I I want to ask you, as a brother in Christ, what's important? Thomas has an opportunity to see Jesus, but he's not there. When you're not there, you'll miss out. Have you ever missed that party that everyone says was the best party ever? The party that you don't go to is the best party ever. Have you noticed that? Oh, you missed it. I hate that. Oh, you, what did I miss? Oh, everything. It was, the, it was just the best. What, what did they serve? Oh, the best food. Who was there? Everybody was there. Everybody was there. You were the only one out, and it was great because you weren't there. Have you ever felt that way? Oh, things got great after you left. That's the other line that I don't like. Oh, after you left, everything was just so awesome. Oh, great. So next time I shouldn't show up. Um, we start playing these little games with ourselves, but... But I want to ask you, what's, what's important? Where, where was Thomas? And so Thomas meets up with the disciples later on, and they're like, Jesus just showed up. We have seen Jesus. And Thomas is like, no, you didn't. Ever ha- you know the doubting friends? Jesus called me. Nah. Nah, he, did, he, he really didn't. Church was awesome. Nah, it, it wasn't. The party was the best party ever. Nah. Just those friends that doubt everything that you have to say. 
Thomas is that dude. We saw Jesus. The same Jesus that died on Friday? Yeah, I just saw him. We saw it. We have seen Jesus. I want to pause here for a minute because I see a connection. The previous passage that we talked about last week started with Mary going to the disciples and saying, I have seen Jesus. Now, because of the faithfulness of Mary's testimony, the whole group is saying, we have seen Jesus. Have you seen what happens when one person is faithful to their testimony? I becomes we. As for me becomes as for we. I have decided turns into we have decided. Because when you are faithful, it ends up impacting not only you, it impacts the people around you. I, I praise God for Mary's faithfulness in going into that room and saying, I have seen the Lord. Because she said, I have seen the Lord, it turned into all the disciples saying, we have seen the Lord. I want to speak to the person who is living in a family where you are the only person that has faith in Jesus Christ. Continue declaring through your life and through your witness, I have seen the Lord. And I believe there will come a day where you can say, we have seen the Lord. Continue saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there will be a day that you can say, we have decided to follow Jesus. There, continue to say, as for me, I will serve the Lord. And someday there will be a day that you can declare, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Be faithful in your witness because God honors that. Mary starts off by saying, I have seen the Lord. All of a sudden, the whole group is saying, we have seen the Lord. There is momentum in the decision of one person to be a witness for Jesus Christ. There is momentum in just being a faithful witness and saying, I have seen him. And this is at a time where the testimony of women was not even believed. But Mary was the first evangelist. Jesus tapped on Mary's shoulder and said, you're going to be the one that tells the good news. She is the first preacher of the gospel. And because she did it, everybody else was able to experience Jesus. Who is there in your life that you are uniquely positioned to reach out and share the gospel with? There's co-workers that only you can reach. There are people in your life and circle that only you can reach. And I want to highly encourage you and motivate you. Stay faithful in your witness of, of telling people about your relationship with Jesus. Because that seed that you are planting will bear fruit and fruit that will remain for generations to come. Can you say amen? There are spouses that need to know Jesus. Continue being faithful. There are children that are far away from God that need to know Jesus. Keep being faithful. Let us not compromise on what we believe. Let us remain faithful and say, I have seen the Lord because I will turn into we. Me will turn into us. And I believe that what begins with one person ends up spreading a whole lot of life. My friend Kevin Eloy preached at his church last weekend that you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you can't tell the number of apples in a seed, meaning you can go ahead and pinpoint the number of seeds that are in one physical apple, but you can never determine the number of apples that will come from one seed that is planted. And that is a powerful analogy to, to, to relate to you and your testimony. You can never number the number of people that will be able to get saved because of the seed that you will faithfully plant. Amen? Come on. That's, 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 that's a motivator right there. There are some family members that need Jesus, and you're the, you're the missionary. You're, you're the evangelist. You're the, you're the preacher. Thomas is standing there amongst all the people, and he's like, look, I, don't, I won't believe until I see him. We have those friends too, right? Now nah, prove it. Google it. Like, they, they won't just take your word for it. They, they have to see it. And, and Thomas doesn't say it to say, I need to see him. He says, I need to touch him. 
I need to put my fingers in the holes in his hands. I mean, Thomas is extreme. I need to put my hand in the hole in his side. Like, Thomas, come on, dude. You, you, you won't just settle for our testimony. No, I got I to gotta see it to, to believe it. And, and so all of this is happening, right? The doors are locked up. And guess what happens? Jesus shows up. Eight days later, Jesus shows up in the room. And here's what I want to just kind of remind you of is this. I love that song, Reckless Love. Anybody else love that song, Reckless Love? You know that bridge where we just go hard and we're like, there's no mountain you won't climb up, mountain and you won't honor. There's no door that's locked up that Jesus is not able to just go right in there and make his presence known in the middle of everybody. Jesus is crazy like that. He will do anything to reach anybody. He will go through a bitter heart. He will go through a locked door. He will go through a rugged cross just to get to you. I remember when I was dating Alini, there was a day we had, I consider it, it's not really a long distance relationship. Boston, Rhode Island is not long distance. It felt long distance sometimes because that 93 traffic is crazy. And, uh, and we didn't have Friday night City Boston at this point, and Friday night was our date night. So I would drive up, and Friday traffic on 93 is just like, it's a nightmare. Yeah, we should have FaceTimed. It, 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 it's just, it was a nightmare, but it was worth it. But there was a day that she was sick. And, uh, and I was a man madly in love. And uh, I knew her mom was taking care of her, but I wanted to prove my love for her. Get some, po get some, some points. And, and so I went to the grocery store and I bought some chicken noodle soup. And she didn't want to really see me. And I think it's, she didn't want, I think it's because, it's not because she didn't want to see me. She didn't want me to see her like that. Do you know what I mean? Because Alini's, like, sick. You know what I mean? Because Alini's very, you know, put together all the time. And, and she was really sick. And, and so I was like, I'm not going to stay. Don't, don't worry. Like, I'm not going to overstay my welcome. I'm going to go. I'm going to see you. I'll give you a hug. And I'll, and I'll be on my way. I bought my chicken noodle soup. I faced that crazy Boston traffic. I got all the way to her doorstep. I handed her the soup. I gave her a hug, I got in the car, and I drove back home. That was like the, I'm still driving. That was the longest <laughs> trip in the world. But when you love somebody, you're willing to do whatever it takes to prove your love for them. Thomas was loved by Jesus just as much as those, those other disciples were loved by Jesus. Jesus didn't look down on Thomas because of his doubts. Jesus just went a little bit further to prove to Thomas that, yes, he was, in fact, resurrected, and that Jesus would be willing to go through. I love the fact that John includes this detail. The doors were locked, and Jesus still showed up. How many of us have locked up hearts where the gospel is, it's, it's, it's hard for the gospel, the good news, to penetrate. But God still demonstrates his love to the people that doubt him the most. God does not look down on you because of your doubts. God goes an extra mile to prove his love for you. I love this God, that there is no mountain he won't climb up. 
There's no whatever the rest of the song says. The valleys he won't raise up. There's no locked doors that he won't go through to prove his love for you. You are loved with an everlasting love. God is crazy about you. And he's willing to go through locked doors just to get to you. Thomas must have been like stupefied in that moment. Like, and and I, if I were the disciples that have been told, I'd be like, I told you so. There he is. I told you. I told you he was alive. Jesus shows up and calls Thomas out, by the way. It's not like, hey, disciples, how are y'all doing? No, he shows up among the disciples like, Thomas, touch me. Touch me. Really? Right now? All of a sudden, Thomas believes. He's like, my Lord, my God. It's easy to believe after seeing. But Jesus says, you've believed because you saw me and touched me. Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. You know who he's talking about? You. He's talking about me. Those of us that have never laid eyes on Jesus, but we love Jesus. Those of us that have never seen the risen Christ, but we believe in the risen Christ. This morning, we have an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, that, that we know a Jesus that we have not perceived with our eyes, but we have felt him with our hearts, and we know him in our minds, and our souls have been set free by this risen Christ. This morning, Jesus has gone to the furthest extent. He has gone through locked doors. He has gone to the mountain called Calvary. He has faced the rugged cross. He has faced the grave, all in the, in the, in the pursuit of our souls this morning. Morning, we are like Thomas, right? We're the people who have maybe doubted or, or maybe faced some questions, but Jesus does not consider our questions a block. He considers it an avenue to get to us. Remember my story of the hair clip with the, with the dragging down Shayla's head, scar all the way down my arm. I was asked a few weeks ago to preach at a church and usually when I speak at a church, they'll give me like a theme, like talk about blah, blah, blah. But this church said, speak on overcoming past trauma. I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's really specific. Can't we talk about like forgiveness? No, like, no, they're overcoming past trauma. And this story of the scar on Shayla's head, the scar on my arm from Shayla's head, came to my mind. And I was like, Lord, why, why this story? And then I was reminded of this. When I was talking to that church about overcoming past trauma, because a lot of us are asking God to remove the scar. But the scar is a demonstration of healing. And so the scar is the story. The story is what shows people what Jesus has done. Scars become a story. Stories set people free. And then I was reminded of Thomas and Jesus and this whole scenario that we've been talking about today. Because the scars on Jesus are what proved to Thomas that Jesus was alive, that he had faced the brutal death on Calvary. But it was the scars that proved 
Notice, Thomas didn't ask for any other evidence. What he asked for was to touch the scars, touch the wounds. And the proof was in the wounds that Jesus was alive. And so, man, there's, there's so much here. So I want to talk to you for a minute about your scars. Because a lot of us are kind of asking, Lord, why this? Why that? Why the other? Because it was painful. Because it was traumatizing. Because it was horrific. But I believe that God turns wounds into scars. And God turns scars into stories. And God uses stories to set other people free. Because he does it through his own son, Jesus. God turned a wound on the cross into a scar. God turned the scar into a story. And God used that story to set Thomas free. And I believe he wants to do that for you this morning. The wound that you maybe you've been asking God to take away, God wants to turn the wound into a scar. The scar into a story. The story is going to set you free and set someone else free. Because whenever we start doubting the power of God, the power of God is made perfect against the backdrop of our weakness. And so God God is able to use anything to demonstrate his power. Even death on a cross, yes, absolutely, even death on a cross. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this, that God did not, Jesus did not consider himself equal with God, but considered himself in the form of a servant, making himself obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. But now God has exalted him to the highest place and given Jesus the name that's above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, what are you saying, Shane? What does this all mean? What I mean is this, is that God turns death into life every single time. God turns a scar into a story every single time. And God uses your story to set other people free every time. If he did it with his own son, Jesus, surely he's going to do it with me. If he did it with his own son, surely he can do it with my life. Maybe you've doubted him. Maybe you've questioned him. Maybe you're on your last straw believing in him. God wants to go through that locked door, that bitter heart, that rugged cross, just to get to you. And to say that scar is your story, that story will set other people free. Man, have you ever gone through something and you start asking God, why me? Why me? Why me? Why, why did I need to go through this? Why was I raised in that household? Why did I face that trauma as a child? Why? Why me? And God says, why not you? Imagine Jesus on the cross. I, I, I would give Jesus every right to say, why me? But the father said, why not you, son? Why not you? And here's the thing. When we start asking God, why me? What we're saying is that we would choose better than God's plan. But when we say, God, why not me? What we're saying is, Lord, I need your power to be made perfect in this scar and in this wound. And I believe that God does it every time. Because if God did it with Jesus, God's surely going to do it with you. This wound won't last forever. It'll turn into a scar. And that scar will become your story. And that story is going to set other people free. Can you say amen? Why not you? If challenges and wounds and scars are an avenue for the grace and the blessing of God, bring it on. If trauma and, and, and hardship is an avenue for the grace of God to be revealed even clearer, why not us? If a trial, if a wound, if a cut is a demonstration of the healing power of God, why not me? 
What I desire is the power of God to be made manifest in my life. Be it through whatever means possible. Did you know whenever they, people refer to Thomas, they call him Doubting Thomas? I'm always like, goodness, why don't we call Judas Betrayer Judas? Peter, Denying Peter. Robber Matthew, Crook Matthew, tax collector. All of them had mess-ups, but we only say Doubting Thomas. Jesus didn't even call him Doubting Thomas. We've called him Doubting Thomas. Because people will always try to identify you by your failures. Jesus didn't say, oh, Doubting Thomas, touch me. He just called him Thomas. The labels people put on you because of your scars are not going to define your future. I believe this in Jesus' name. He does not call us by our sin. He calls us by name. And he says, Thomas, see me. Thomas, believe in me. Not doubting Thomas, not sinner Thomas, not failure Thomas. He just says, Thomas. And this morning, a lot of us have been shying away from God's presence because we feel ashamed by the sin that has become our label. But God wants to use that label as something that's going to set people free. Instead of becoming doubting Thomas, he is believing Thomas. I believe God wants to do the same in your life. Do you believe that today? I pray that this is an encouraging word.